Support for the Capital Connection comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities with Public Schools Unite Us initiative and United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. It's the Capital Connection. Hi, I'm David Gustina joining us this week, and I'm so glad he's back with us. John King, the 15th Chancellor of the State University of New York. That's, of course, the largest comprehensive system of public higher education in the U.S. Chancellor King, of course, also served in President Barack Obama's cabinet as the 10th U.S. Secretary of Education. Before his appointment as the Secretary, Chancellor King fulfilled the duties of Deputy Secretary of Education. And before that, he was New York State's first African-American and first Puerto Rican Education Commissioner. Welcome back to the Capital Connection, SUNY Chancellor John King. Thanks so much. Excited to talk with you. Me too. And we'll start with something I think will be a welcome to many folks who are interested in applying for college. I know you've made this announcement. There are fee waivers, and that's this month, right, for SUNY, CUNY, and more than 40 private colleges and universities. You're waiving fees. Exactly. We think of October as uh, application month, and we've got free applications from October 16th through October 29th, where students are able to apply to five SUNY campuses for free, saves them about 250 bucks across those applications and gives them the chance to start the process of figuring out which SUNY is the right match for them. Well, and that's one of the things that we talk about with a great public education is affordability, and this just adds one more level to that, doesn't it? Exactly. You know, at, at SUNY, across our institutions, about 53% of our students go tuition-free because of the federal Pell program, uh, the state tuition assistance program, and the state's Excelsior scholarship. So SUNY is very affordable. Our tuition is just over $7,000 for the year at our four-year institutions. Uh, we want students to know there's a high-quality, affordable option available to them at SUNY. And we've got a wide range of options for students from uh, our environmental science and forestry school in Syracuse to our uh, great university centers at Stony Brook, Buffalo, Albany, and Binghamton uh, to our campuses like SUNY Purchase, where you can uh, pursue learning in the arts, for example. So there's such a wide range of options, and I, I hope students will take a look at the possible paths available to them at SUNY. We're speaking with SUNY Chancellor John King on the Capital Connection this week, and I'm wondering if I could get your reaction. Now, I know SUNY provides a lot of aid. You've mentioned it, including the Excelsior Scholarship, but the Supreme Court and affirmative action. Now, many schools came right out and said, we're going to make sure that we continue to bring in a diverse student body. I know SUNY already does a lot to that effort, but I want to get your reaction to the Supreme Court decision and if there's anything else SUNY should be doing at this point. Yeah, look, it was tragic for the country to have the Supreme Court walk away from decades of precedent and abandon the effort to ensure uh, racial diversity in our most selective higher ed institutions. That said, 
there are some important elements of the decision that, that allow pathway uh, for students to share the individual impact that race has had in their own lives and their essay. And of course, colleges can consider that, whether uh, students' racial identity has played a role in uh, the adversity they've had to overcome or uh, the inspiration that has driven them uh, in their academic pursuits. Uh, so that's an important uh, provision of the decision. Uh, but there are also a whole series of race-neutral strategies that campuses can use to ensure broad diversity. We can look at uh, low-income status, at uh, whether or not a student is the first in their family to go to college, uh, whether or not a student has experience as a veteran or through the AmeriCorps National Service program. We can look at adversity, uh, the adversity a student may have faced in their uh, community or in their school. Um, and we'll do all those things at SUNY to make sure that we fulfill our longstanding commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm going to throw this question in. It's one that uh, the former host of this program, Ellen Shartok, liked to ask, and I just want to get your reaction to it. I mean, because of the affordability issue with many folks who are going, especially to private colleges, but there are some on the economic spectrum that could not even afford it with the aid. Should there be on any level college available for free, whether it's community college level, so that those that would like to go for a career that would require a college level education can go? Look, you know, when I was uh, Secretary of Education for President Obama, we proposed to Congress something called America's College Promise. Uh, that was a federal state partnership that would have made community college free across the country. So that first two years of college, free for all students. And we put forward a financial plan for how we could achieve that. And unfortunately, we couldn't persuade Congress to move on that proposal. President Biden has made similar proposals a couple of times to Congress. I hope eventually we can move Congress to understand that investing in public higher education is really an investment in the future health of our national economy and the health of our democracy. Why don't they get that? What's your sense of why that doesn't go through? You know, I think there is a bit of a maybe anachronistic or old-fashioned take on college costs. And people say, well, when I went, I worked, and that allowed me to get through college, and I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. The problem with that is, of course, uh, the cost of college has grown significantly over uh, the last many decades, and the federal government has retreated uh, from its historic commitment to public higher education. You know, in 1980, the federal Pell Grant program would have covered 80% of the cost of public higher education. Today, it's about 28%. So uh, the, the notion that it was easier earlier is right, but not, not because of a difference in the students, but because of a difference in the level of public commitment to investment in higher ed. We've got to get back to that tradition. Well, let's move to another subject. We're speaking with SUNY Chancellor John King on the Capital Connection this week, and that is the interest now in artificial intelligence. I see that there's $20 million now out there from Governor Hochul, who made the announcement for how colleges and universities are going to start adjusting to the technology. The $20 million UAlbany and IBM joint investment will support the Center for Emerging Artificial Intelligence Systems the growing concern as well as excitement over AI. It seems like it's in many ways already here. Is SUNY on top of this and what will happen as a result of this initiative? 
Yeah, look, we've got faculty members across our institutions, particularly our our four university centers who are hard at work on these issues. We got more than $20 million grant from the National Science Foundation at the University of Buffalo to work on how you could use AI to help students with learning disabilities, how you might design educational tools that might help students. Uh, At UAlbany, through this partnership with IBM, uh, they're going to look at things like how could AI help to improve healthcare? What AI tools might be used, particularly for mental health? We've got folks who are looking at how can AI be used to improve advanced manufacturing? How can AI be used to predict weather patterns? So there's lots of potential for AI to have a positive impact, but we also have faculty and researchers who are working on what kinds of guardrails do we need to make sure that AI is used responsibly? How do we protect against, for example, uh, racial bias in algorithms impacting AI? How do we make sure uh, that we protect against deep fakes so that our elections aren't disrupted by the manipulation? Cheating, uh, cheating, cheating. As an adjunct at New right. Albany, <laughs> I say cheating. Well, we got to watch out for cheating, right? <laughs> sure. We got to think about how do we how do we refine our teaching methods? How do we create assignments where students are collaborating with each other, where they are producing real world products? Make it harder for uh, students to to simply use AI to substitute for their own learning. And so uh, we are also looking at those kinds of things. How do we change? Uh, teaching practices, and in some cases, how do we make sure that we're asking students in class, whether it's through writing or through class discussion, to demonstrate their knowledge rather than just relying on them to go off and uh, submit a document that may have been generated in part through AI. We're speaking with SUNY Chancellor John King. Well, back in May, Chancellor, you laid out your vision for SUNY. It included all students gaining, quote, real-world experience before graduation. And obviously, as a person who is an adjunct and works in the field, students tell me they appreciate that. They like a professor who's doing it and who can bring real world into the classroom. And also, we, for example, at WMC provide internships to many SUNY students who have come on staff here and have worked for years and years. So, you know, there are these opportunities, but there are research institutions where research has to happen and there has to be a balance. So where are we in the process of trying to generate more real-world experiences? Well, fortunately, we've been able to put some significant resources towards this. Uh, over the summer, we were able to set up research internships through a, a Chancellor's Research Excellence Fund across many of our uh, university center campuses. And then because of the, a very significant increase in state operating aid this past spring, we were able to dedicate $10 million across the system to supporting the growth of internships. And I really appreciate you leading for providing internships. We need more employers to step up to do that. And we have to make sure that internships are to the greatest extent possible paid because you don't want low-income students to be left out of the internship experience because they can't afford to do it. And so we're working with our campuses to think about how they can address unpaid or underpaid internships to to add some compensation so that they are realistic opportunity for our students with financial struggles. But I'd like to get to a place where every SUNY student has that real-world internship experience, whether it's in a government organization, a nonprofit, or in a private sector company.
Yeah, it's so valuable. That's one of the things I tell my students. If you're going to go work in a field, make sure you get an internship so you at least know what it's like. I get a feeling for whether this is really a career you want to wrap your world around. Exactly. And for some students, it may be that the internship persuades them they have to make a different choice. Exactly. That's not what they want to do. And that that's healthy learning as well. Sure is. Well, let's talk a little bit about public-private partnerships, because we just talked about AI, and you're partnering with IBM. We've seen these public-private partnerships before. We've seen how they benefit the university, but we also see where we have to be careful, don't we? We don't want to just be a tool for business. Well, we've got to make sure that, that we're advancing the university mission. We're serving students. We're contributing to the local economy. I'll give you one great example. Last week, I was in uh, the Syracuse region for an announcement of a clean room simulation lab at Onondaga Community College. Uh, that's part of their effort to prepare students for jobs at Micron. Micron's coming to the Syracuse region. It's going to bring um, somewhere in the order of nine to 10,000 jobs uh, at the Micron facility, uh, but then tens of thousands more jobs in supply chain companies and uh, providing services and commercial activities for those employees who come to the region. This is a huge economic development opportunity for central New York in the semiconductor industry. And the Clean Room Simulation Lab at, at Onondaga Community College is going to support students who are in a, a certificate program to prepare for jobs as technicians at Micron. It's very exciting. Micron is very committed to being a good uh, corporate citizen, uh, supporting the community college, supporting efforts in K-12 to get uh, students, particularly historically underserved students, uh, excited about the STEM fields. Um, we need more partnerships like that around the state. But yes, we always have to be careful that we're advancing the goals of higher education and we're supporting our students and, and not just supporting the, the, the business community. And I'm sure it's no coincidence that it's Onondaga, I mean, upstate more in general, the idea of the economic infusion that this might help in an upstate economy that lags a little bit behind downstate. That's right. I mean, you know, the reality is from probably the mid-19th century to the mid-20th century, New York was the national leader in manufacturing. We were producing and producing great jobs. But then for a variety of reasons, global competition changes in the manufacturing economy. A lot of that went into decline. It's been very painful for a lot of upstate communities from Syracuse to Rochester to Buffalo. But now we've got an opportunity to really have an advanced manufacturing renaissance. New York's leadership in the semiconductor industry is well known. The state made an important investment in Albany Nanotech 20 years ago to really lead the way. Global Foundries uh, has provided great jobs in the capital region. We've got Wolf Speed in the Utica area. So we've, we've got real momentum in the semiconductor industry, but really in a number of fields of advanced manufacturing. And we want SUNY to be a crucial partner in that, preparing the workforce that we need. Probably one of the biggest and most important rules in higher education, and we're speaking with the State University of New York Chancellor, John King, is enrollment. And with the pandemic, I know that enrollment had taken a hit, and we saw a lot of distance learning. Students, in fact, were online, asynchronous learning. I taught a course for a few semesters that way. I'm back in the classroom now. 
but the idea of enrollment taking a hit and more people getting used to online learning versus being in person or on campus, I'm wondering how the system itself is faring with enrollment. You know, over the last few years, we, we certainly were down in enrollment, and COVID uh, exacerbated that, just as you described. Last year, we saw sort of a leveling out, and we don't have our final numbers for this fall yet, uh, but we're uh, cautiously optimistic. Uh, we have a number of campuses that have announced big increases in their freshman enrollment, which is exciting, and I think we are going to be on the upswing in enrollment Part of what we have to do is make sure that students know the programs that are available to them. You know, I find that while New Yorkers know that, that SUNY is a great asset to the state, they don't necessarily know about the great cybersecurity program at Westchester Community College or the fantastic opportunities to learn about drone technology as a future engineer at SUNY Poly. And so we've got to make sure that we're telling those stories of the specific programs and the great jobs that lie on the other side of those. And if we do a good job of that, I think we can continue to grow our enrollment. We have about 360,000 students who are in degree programs, but we've got about 1.4 million students who come through SUNY programs and courses each year. Uh, So we've got a lot of room to help students who maybe aren't right now have a career credential or certificate, or maybe they have a few credits but haven't finished their degree, get those students to see the benefits of a degree program and come back and enroll. Now I want to ask you a question about a specific campus, and this came to me from another reporter who, when I said I was speaking to you, he said, ask him about SUNY Potsdam. They recently announced a downsizing plan to cut a $9 million deficit And where some of these campuses are struggling, will they survive? Will they have to maybe merge? I could see Potsdam and SUNY Canton, they're close together. But are we going to lose any colleges as a result of some that might be facing, like SUNY Potsdam, a major deficit? You know, we are very committed to the 64 communities we serve today across our 64 campuses. Uh, But they're going to have to evolve. And the reality is 10 years ago, Potsdam had closer to 4,500 students today. Uh, They're around 2,500 students. Uh, They've got to adjust their infrastructure and programming to reflect being a 2,500 student campus. Now, that said, the financial plan that they've put forward, we think will allow them to be a healthy, sustainable 2,500 student campus with a broad range of offerings. Now, there are some programs have so few students, it doesn't make sense to continue those programs. And and that's going to be a painful process. But they have other programs that are growing, and they're going to invest in those. Uh, They have, for example, a a master's program for teachers that's doing quite well. So they're going to grow those programs, and they're going to be healthy long-term. And and that's really our work, I would say, across the SUNY system. And we feel very good about our trajectory you know, at, at UB, at University of Buffalo, they hired about 150 new faculty members this year. So there's lots of growth and momentum, but there are campuses that need to adjust their offerings given the change in student population, particularly in their region. Well, let's talk about something that's not easy to talk about right now, but as a microcosm of the world, campuses, I'm sure, are dealing with, and that's the Israeli-Gaza situation. And, of course, we're talking about Israelis and Palestinians. Hamas, of course, attacked Israel. We see the fallout from that. It's untenable, certainly, but we have 
Jewish students. Uh, we have Muslim students on our campuses. We've seen what's happened in New York City with protests. We got free speech issues. We've got safety issues, for example. How do we work that all out on a campus? Yeah, look, these are challenging issues. I think we have to speak with moral clarity about what happened on uh, October 7th, the horrific terrorist attack by Hamas against Israel, against Israelis, the murder of innocent children, uh, the taking of hostages, the massacre that happened at the concert. I mean, these are uh, horrific, horrific events, and we shouldn't have any ambiguity around our message of condemning terrorism, condemning that kind of awful violence. And now, you know, we have to make sure that we are doing all we can to combat anti-Semitism and keeping our students safe. We, for example, made sure in the immediate aftermath of of the attack uh, to provide additional campus security and Shabbat services. We want students to feel safe. Going forward, there's a lot of conversation I think we have to have as a community about the politics of the Middle East and how we move towards peace. We've got to worry a lot about uh, the humanitarian needs that are unfolding in Gaza and throughout the region. And we want all of our students, our Jewish students, our Muslim students, to feel safe and um, supported in their academic success on our campuses. And these are tough issues to navigate, uh, but that shouldn't get in the way of, of moral clarity around the the horrific attack and moral clarity and standing with Israel and being clear uh, that Israel is a longstanding U.S. ally. We're committed to Israel, to um, Israeli democracy. Uh, we, we should be unambiguous about that. And probably unambiguous about citizens, everyday people, no matter where they are in Israel or in Gaza, and the loss of their lives, their innocent lives. Of course, of course. And we, and we should... And we should be very concerned about uh, the humanitarian challenges that we're seeing in in Gaza, and, and certainly at SUNY, we're looking for opportunities for how you know, given our role as higher ed institutions, how can we be a support? Are there, uh, for example, um, students who have family there? How can we make sure that they know uh, that they're cared for? We have, in some cases, faculty members who have family. Uh, who are impacted, how can we make sure that they are supported? Yeah, and that leads me to another question, sort of related, but anecdotally, I've heard from students over the past few semesters, since the pandemic, really, about the need for more mental health services. I'm sure you've heard this as well, but the idea that the mental health of our student body, also our faculty, of course, but especially our students, is something they're even crying out for. Oh, absolutely. You know, we are fortunate Again, because of the leadership of Governor Hochul and the support of the legislature, we got the largest operating aid increase for SUNY in 20-plus years uh, in the past budget. And we were able to dedicate $10 million across the system to support expanded mental health services. And that's allowing campuses to add counselors, to add uh, wellness programs. We also have a telemental health initiative uh, through Upstate. Uh, one of our academic medical centers, uh, where we're making available telemental health services so that any student who's in crisis on the vast majority of our campuses is able to, to access through that telehealth uh, effort immediate uh, support. 
but we worry a lot about about student wellness and and I have to say covid exacerbated some existing challenges you know if you if you look at mental health challenges on campuses and for young people sure. uh, they they've been on the upswing for a while um social media plays a role in that and technology and student sense of isolation but then even climate COVID change and all the disruptions that brought Chancellor, oh absolutely climate anxiety existential yeah. questions for sure yeah absolutely and so supporting our students is critical in creating campus climates of wellness where you know we're making sure that students have opportunities to build strong healthy relationships with peers with faculty members with staff that that's critical as well as the access to uh, counselors and trained mental health professionals. I also think maybe training them to be better citizens. And I know that you have this civic initiative, and I know as well that there are now going to be polling sites on the SUNY campuses, many of them. And and the idea of getting students not only to pay attention to the world and to be civic-minded, but to also get out there and vote. That's right. It's hugely important. Look, I started out my career as a social studies and civics teacher. I believe very strongly in the role of higher ed in preparing future citizens. Uh, so I'm glad that we have uh, many campuses that will have polling stations. Uh, we have many campuses that are participating in a national all-in campus democracy challenge effort to try to get students registered to vote. Important that, that students know that they can register to vote, even at their dorm address if they want to. And then we've got to have students talking about, thinking about what does citizenship mean? What does it mean to participate in uh, civic causes and issues? Uh, And that spirit, uh, we just announced a fellowship program where we'll identify 10 faculty members across the system who will be leaders in uh, coaching and supporting their colleagues in creating campus climates that support civic engagement and civil discourse, right? The ability to talk through hard issues exactly. uh, when maybe there are areas of disagreement. Yeah. We need a lot more of that kind of conversation these days, not shouting, conversation. And I really, exactly. really appreciate you taking a half an hour out of your very busy schedule to have a conversation with me. He is John King, the SUNY Chancellor. That's the State University of New York Chancellor. He's joined us to talk about the important issues affecting higher education, and I can only ask that you'll come back again and tell us more in the future. Absolutely. Wonderful to talk with you. The Capital Connection is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. You can listen to The Capital Connection anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcast. And join us again next week at this same time for another political conversation. For The Capital Connection, I'm David Gustina. Support for the Capital Connection comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities through the Public Schools Unite Us initiative.